This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by you, the fans. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash Breakaway to get access to our BSBOTs, such as last week, and if you are still grieving the New York Rangers season, such as we are, you will love to hear this exit interview episode where Greg and I break down, like the Sapruder film, every single exit interview, quote, and have a great time doing it. It is very therapeutic, and I hope you join us. Get access to our Discord and more. On today's episode, we will talk about Gerard Gallant no longer being the Rangers head coach. We will have Vince Mercogliano of Loha.com to break that all down with us as well and who coaching candidates possibly are. And boy, so much more, including some exit interview stuff as well. Uh, it's going to be a long and interesting summer, and thank you for joining with us for this ride. So without further ado, here's not a coaching candidate, Mark Messier. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Good Wishes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, and we're no longer depressed. Now we're sort of laughing about it. Greg, how are you? <laughs> we're not? No, fuck, fuck you, we're not. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let, let's, let's review Greg's Saturday here for a second, shall we? Forte scratch. Huge disappointment. That was in the morning. Okay, I'm, I wasn't that upset with it. The only reason I was upset with it is because the horses I liked uh, were now going to take money. I was and a big two fills and mage guy, so there. Those shut are... the fuck up! You were not a mage guy. I don't <laughs> of course, I was a mage guy. I'm a Dungeons and Dragons person. I don't want to hear it. You know, guy. fuck you. You were. Oh, I'm a mage guy. I don't actually like horse racing. I like but the I'm name say mage. I like the, I like the horse who won the fucking derby. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> fuck you on that immediately. Anyway, let let's just review what Saturday was looking like. Beautiful yeah. weekend in New York. Finally, Beautiful we haven't had one of these too, as well. in forever. Uh, it was like. 65 degrees sunny not a cloud in the sky so i'm over at a buddy's house we bring the tv outside old school like we're back in college watching the knicks game which started at 3 30 which was perfect because the kentucky derby card started at 10 30 a.m so i'm already deep in the pony uh then the knicks started 3 30 the mets by the way four the bsb out of context account is gonna make a card that says i'm already deep in the pony in case you're wondering (laughs) (laughs) perfect Guess what? I was. I started four or five. I started on a hot streak. Just uh, let you know. Anyway, the races are starting to take a turn for me where I'm, I, things aren't coming up Greg anymore. Uh, the Knicks game, they're down about 18. The Mets are losing again to the Colorado motherfucking Rockies. Um, so I'm sitting there thinking like, this day fucking sucks. What could possibly happen to make today more complicated or worse for me? And the Rangers were like, by the way. Enter. Firing Gerard Gallant. All right, let's get into it. Uh, that's right. Mutual also, party. Also, actually, before one, if I ever see that fucking horse, Hong Kong Harry, Ryan, I am all for animal <laughs> Hold rights. Hold on, you're going to fight a horse? Yeah, I'm fucking fighting that horse. <laughs> I am all for animal rights. I, I, it, it, it makes me sick, the people that treat animals poorly. Yes. But if I see Hong Kong Harry, I'm throwing fucking knuckles <laughs> with that piece of shit. All right, I want that on record. <laughs> what do you have against the horse? He fucked me, Ryan. Oh, he sorry. fucked me. Hong Kong hair. I would have had a perfectly fine day, even yes. with I had Angel of Empire in the Derby. He ran a fine race. He kicked in a little late. That's great. I'm excited to bet him in the Preakness right. of the Belmont. Like I'm fired. Let's, no, hold let's, on, hold on. I'm not okay, done. Okay. Hong Kong Harry cost me so much goddamn green that like it is offensive. Resetting. Gerard Gallant got fired uh, right. as you were uh, about to fight Hong Kong Harry, of course. I'm still fighting that fucker. I, I understand. And 
the, the terminology, the, first of all, Saturday News Dump. We talk all about this with Vince Percogliano in the second half of this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, very in-depth. Mutually parted ways. Yeah, Do you no such think, thing. No such thing. I'll, I'll, I'll immediately say there's no such thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give just a little bit. I think Gallant was gone himself, too. I think he was done with this. Uh-huh. I think it was slightly. Like, maybe the mutually parted was maybe 5 to 10% Gerard Gallant. But I think he was also kind of like, I'm done. Which totally conflicts with his statement of, I don't know why you got to ask him, you're going to get fired. Well, because you did um, get fired. But... I do think he he was done with this as well. Chris Jury and him were not on the same page the entire year. We were talking about it back in like November, and now all of a sudden, well, we, yeah. We're I mean, again, the thing that really I, I know we talked about this on OT. It's worth mentioning again. You get into a screaming match that all of Madison Square Garden can hear after Game Four, and you come out and play the way that you played in Game Five. I honestly, even if the Rangers win Game Seven, that story makes it to me. You don't have that blow up and fail to like do anything the next game. That's that's to me quiet quitting. It, it, it's and again we, we mentioned this with Vince, but I'll say it here too. Firing Gerard Gallant does not get any one player off the hook for how they played in that first round series against the Devils. You and I have plenty of issues None with zero how zilch. certain guys performed. Um, that doesn't change. Firing Gerard Gallant to me does not absolve the players of responsibility in that series. To me, it's just one of the steps you needed to take in order to rectify that series. Because, yeah, the players didn't adjust, but neither did the coaching staff. And it's a lot easier to change the coaching staff than it is to change the players. There are still personnel questions that linger with this team that will not be answered in the next couple days, weeks even, until we're in the thralls of the offseason. I get that, but... The one thing I can control is I could bring in a coach with a different philosophy, any philosophy, and just a different idea of what to do with the tools that they have. If the Rangers didn't fire the coach, to me, you'd have to change the entire roster. And you'd really have to believe in the coach. Now, I still think some changes need to come to the roster, but at least by saying we're going to bring in a different voice, you're at least trying to make a different stew with the ingredients that you have. Yeah, uh, we talk with Vince about who the candidates are. Um, very little, to be honest. Mostly because this search is going to be lengthy. There will, I, I think, I think this could go all the way till like early July, late June. Mm. Uh, in terms of, no, they'll they'll have a coach before they start making player moves. I'll, I'll say that. I that don't think they'll have a, they won't have a coach before the end of the Stanley Cup final. No, no, it's going to be after the playoffs. The cup I'd will say, be raised. I'd say the latest is the draft. The absolute latest. They have to have a coach before the draft. They don't. No, but again, they don't. Because you, th- this is the problem with the NHL that most other leagues have figured out. Whoever your coach is shouldn't fucking dictate what players you're taking at the draft. Which, which is kind of confusing. Uh, especially, I don't know if your coach should dictate your trades either. Um, no, but I'm okay with the trades because at least then you're trying... To find the pieces that fit what the coach wants fit to do. Fit the play style. Yeah. And if, if they're the expendable pieces, the pieces on the periphery, I'm fine with it. Like, I don't think you should be signing... Like Vincent Trocek is going to be a guy we talk about, a lot about. My problem with Vincent Trocek, who I love, and I like that he's a New York Ranger, and I think a coach can figure him out. My big problem was the Rangers signed him to such a big contract that there was no way 
They brought him in for Gerard Gallant, and there was no way Gerard Gallant was going to stay with them. The I think that's time. what we said, like the the day of the signing. Yeah, we were huge. I mean, if you ever listened to this podcast before last year, we were huge. Please, for the love of God, please sign a center for one to two years maximum, and then figure it out from there. Keep yep. your flexibility because yep. you're going to need it. Yep, down the line, if you especially if you don't win the cup, uh-huh. they signed Vincent Trocheck to what I believe is. A reasonable deal for Vincent Trocek. A deal we would have expected him to get, just not from the New York Rangers. Correct. Maybe from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, and Vincent Trocek is a good player. He provided... Did he pro- live up to his contract this year? I would say yes. He was that good of a that good of an addition, that good yeah. of a player. And it's very you know important to have your 2C. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy he's here, but... Vincent Trocek might be your 3C next year. If Phil Heedle does take the step forward, we might all expect him to. Yeah, it's just... To me, it's just like... They signed him they for made Gallant. A, I know they made a foundational signing for a guy that's not part of the foundation. That he, he was that, a that Gallant me, guy. Yeah, and again, I, this isn't this this is Tuesday morning quarterbacking. Even one step further than Monday. Again, we're both big Trocheck guys. I think he's part of the solution. Not the I've come problem. around on Trocheck. I didn't start it that way. Yeah, I just my problem is I'm I will trade as many draft picks as humanly possible if it means bringing in guys that fit. The holes I have in the eyes of my coach. Those are moves you should always be making. Like, it's the same reason why I wouldn't extend relievers except for five of them in baseball. I wouldn't try to be married to certain guys on my bench. I wouldn't be any of that. With basketball, I think you should really go into the season with like four starters and allow yourself to figure out what the five is going to be and then have your seven, eight, nine bench spots be something you figure out during the season. There are certain things with teams that you just, you shouldn't have full answers on opening night. And I'm down for filling in those answers based on my coach throughout the season. And I think Chris Drury the last two years did a really good job of filling in the answers he thought Gerard Gallant answered for him. The problem is like, when you get to the playoffs, it's either the players stopped buying in the coach stopped buying in on his players or both. And to me, the whole reason why, in my opinion, he had to move on for Gerard Gallant is if you're asking that question, it's way too late. It, it's just, that can't be something you're even thinking about. And I know we can go back. We've said it on this podcast before. What we were able to dig up and figure out leading up to that St. Louis Blues game when Gallant said, fuck you, I'm leaving anyway, so I'll finally play the kids to prove to you that the kids aren't going to be part of the solution, and then they were part of the solution. Um, Drury identified a guy he wanted, Barry Trotz. Trotz said he had to check with his family. His family was like, why don't you wait? Chill, take the season. We'll figure it out in the spring. If you really want this job, it'll be there for you. And then the Rangers started winning. And at that point, Drury was like, well, all right, fine. I probably only have uh, one not more Not only coach. that, Trotz wanted the GM job. That's no, that. I don't. I honestly, it's, it's not. Trotz has the perfect position for him in Nashville. I think Trotz would have been totally fine coming into New York and working with Chris Drury. I think Chris Drury would have been fine working with Barry Trotz, but what I said then is true now. Drury's got one more coaching move. This is it. I don't think if this goes poorly with this coach, unless the Rangers win a cup and then they fire the coach, if they don't have immediate playoff success with this hire, it's Chris Drury's last hire as general manager of the New York Rangers. And I Which think is insane he, he, because I think Chris Drury has done like a B plus. Like if you exclude the first two weeks of Chris Drury's tenure, it's been like A plus material the entire time. Sure, Aaron Boone gets the Yankees to the playoffs every year. Ryan, how do you think fans feel about Aaron Boone? They don't like him. Yeah, I hate him. They um, don't like him. But I like, I legitimately like 
Chris Drury. Yeah, <laughs> so I, but awesome. I, I, I know, but I think Drury's a smart enough guy where he realized if he fired Gallant in season, that still applied to him. Where he was, this was going to be his good last point. hire. That's so he point. wrote it out with Gallant because they started winning. But I, I just, I know I. The guys you want to lead this franchise are not available. Well, they They're, don't exist. <laughs> like, forget about them not available. Like, they just it. Shayna Goldman, our good friend. I don't know why I went last name with her right there. That was weird. I, yeah, I've had a, I've had a hard day. I'm thinking about Hong Kong Harry too much. I got uh, Shayna wrote a great piece on the Athletic explaining why. The retread hire is a really difficult one to swallow and why most teams really should go in the other direction. And then Vince later on in his podcast is going to explain to you in great English and fancy words about why the Rangers are trying to be risk adverse right now and just hire a guy. At the same time, like, Ryan, if the Rangers hire, let's say, Peter Laviolette, Snores then, honestly, man. like, why fucking fire Gerard Gallant if that's what you're going to do? If that's what we're doing, like, what are, there's no point. Like, you, I want a coach I can love. I, I, what was the last coach you loved on one of your teams? Uh, well. Collins? I, I really liked Beltron for those 61 days. Oh, okay. And that makes sense. <laughs> I really liked him. I really liked him. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, Showalter when the Mets hired him, I realized it was the right hire. But I didn't think I'd love the guy. Uh, I, I have strong feelings for him now, though the Mets fucking suck. That makes uh, sense. Uh, I, I, the last coach, like, a team of mine... But like Tor- uh, Torts is the last guy I really was like, all right, at least I'll. Yeah, fight but you like you love Torts not because he was a great coach, because he's a great character. He's Torts, yeah. but I want a guy. I want a guy that I'll fight for. Like yeah, uh, like Terry is- Co- Terry Collins and Torts are cut from the same cloth. Where like the X's and O's game management, filling out the lineup card, managing the bullpen. God, I'd rather not. But the everything in between the press conferences, that dude. At least let me like the guy. That's my. That's that's how far I want to go. If he's not going to be a tremendous coach, at least let him be likable. I think people, loyal listeners of this show, I, I think many of them are going to get frustrated because the common question, and I know it's a big question we get in five star question, is all right, who do you want the Rangers to hire? And I know that my response being like, I don't want anyone. Like I, I really don't. Like I, I don't want any one of the candidates. Even Chris Knobloch, I'm kind of just like, eh. Fine. Which and is at least, fine because... Like, it at least would be different, and I appreciate different. I'll say that. I just want different, which is why I... I Knobloch has... It's very important to have sheer information of the organization. Yes. And Knobloch knows how the internal workings of the organizations work. And he's a Chris Drury guy. So That's, Drury knows that he'd be able to build a roster and have faith that his coach will use it in a way that he likes, which, again, is fucking wild that that wasn't a thought process when they, you hired Gerard Because Gallant. Chris, Chris Knobloch will work with Chris Drury, where yes. Gallant will not do that. He no, won. which, again, again, nuts wild. that you Absolutely hired wild. him. We called it day one. <laughs> yeah, I just, we it's, it. we, but we call it in the National Hockey League all the time. This is the only league where, for some reason, GMs and coaches live in two different rooms, and it isn't constant collaboration. I know it's probably an exaggeration the way I'm painting it, but at the same time, buddy, it's fucking not with Gerard Gallant and Chris Drury. They had completely different ideas about how to use the pieces that they have on that roster, which is fucking wild. I cannot believe in this day and age that any team would allow a coach to just go fucking rogue. Well, they didn't. He got fired two times before that because for that exact reason. Yeah. Yeah. I... That's literally the reason I, he got fired. Knobloch, I can at least understand. I mean, listen, I don't think Hartford's gangbusters, but they're they're in the semifinals. They're having a great year. 
and they've been historically bad before Chris Knobloch got there. So the I fact would take Knobloch before around, a retread. Period. Uh, Sheldon Keefe's the only one. I, I would honestly take Sheldon Keefe. I, I think. I think a lot of people. I, I feel like we're doing a podcast, by the way, back in like 2017. We right literally now. had like four or five podcasts. We talked extensively about Sheldon Keefe. Sure did. Um, I, I think there's a lot of Toronto stank on him, and I understand that. I just think you have to separate everything that actually happens in Toronto from the dudes who are in charge of Toronto. It, it's like, they're to me, I think they're at a point where I was with like the Boston Red Sox growing up, where I think Toronto's just cursed. So I, I like... Sports I ex- curses are real. They I really excuse are. a lot of the shit happening... But I tr- like Sheldon Keefe is a smart guy. Uh, he's used to having top-heavy rosters with high-end talent and getting the most out of them. And if that man just once had a goalie like Igor Shosturkin, I promise you Toronto would have raised a cup by now. I'm cool with Sheldon Keefe. And I do think if they get swept by the Florida Panthers, that man will be available. Um, but outside of that, like Bruce Boudreaux, I'll say, is in the torts Terry Collins realm where... He will entertain the living hell out of me. It's, but I it'll don't be great for the podcast, coach. but like yeah. I don't think they're winning the cup because of him. Right. Great content, not great hockey. Um, and to a certain point, Ryan, we have to weigh our needs here with what we really want to do. And that's true. I, <laughs> you and I, of course. I would I would say Keith, if he becomes available, is my plan. First of all, Mike Sullivan's not becoming available. Forget it. it it's I don't think Fenway is that Neither dumb. is Rod or Cooper. Like, they... Even if Dolan was like, "Here's a gigantic bag. Get yourself out of yep. the contract." Like it just yeah. doesn't. It's not happening. If if Rod wanted to be the Rangers coach, he'd be the Rangers coach. He would have been here the last time. Yeah, I think it's it's simple to me. My list is three deep. Keith number one, over like a, a huge gap. Knoblock number two, and then whatever Tampa assistant, just fucking name one. <laughs> just, I don't just, care. Just pick one. Like I I don't care. I pick just one. know Tampa is. A well-run organization. Derek Lalonde had a really good first year in Detroit. I just fucking trust John Cooper. Whatever Tampa assistant you want to hire, number three. I don't care. They don't honestly announce the hiring. Don't even tell me the name. Just be like, we have hired a Tampa assistant coach like, to yes. be our coach. And I'm like, great. Wonderful. Huh. It's like that uh, Tampa Bay Rays tweet. Tampa Rays make a trade. Love this trade for the Rays. Who did they get? <laughs> yes, it doesn't matter. You know, they always win. Yeah, few, that's, few that's my few that's my that's my theory on Tampa Bay assistants. Don't give a shit. Don't even want to know their names. Just let it be generic male. Tampa Bay assistant coach is now the Rangers head coach, and I'd be like, great. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna win the division next year. I feel good about it. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, should we go to Vince and then come back for five stars? I mean, if we have to. I guess we should. So let's uh, take a quick transition from word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with hard-hitting analysis from our friend Vince Mercogliano. Transition. <clears throat> hey, yo, it's time to talk about our sponsor, Tick Pick. Ranger season may be over, but that doesn't mean you can't go see the bad Mets or the bad Yankees. That is right. You can, you can use the app Tick Pick. It's super easy. We used it for all the playoffs. We'll use it for Ranger games next year. But you could use promo code BLUESHIRTS to get $15 off your first order for any event in your area, including any baseball game or any other event. Just check it out, Blue Shirts. That's the promo code, Blue Shirts. How does TickPick work, you ask? I'll tell you, baby bird. Go to the app. It's super easy. I love using it, actually. One of my favorite parts is that you can like see the view from your seat. You have a 360 view. You can move your phone around and see what it was like. That's cool. But you can also see the ranks of the scores and the deals. And the best part, 
the best part, you're not going to believe this, the price you see is the price you get. It's no fees. When you check out, it's the same price. Get the best deals, get the cheaper deals, get promo code BLUESHIRT for $15 off your first order. What are you waiting for? Go to a game, any game, any event, TickPick, our official ticketing sponsor. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. We have an only guest, to be honest. We have our friend Vincent McCargliano of Loha.com. Vince, anything happened recently? Anything fun? I was going to ask, who's the second guest? I'm not enough for you guys? No, this is it. I was like, wait, first guest? It's just Vince. That's it. Um, and, and ourselves. Uh, Rangers lose. Shocker. Uh, game 7, a game where they did not no-show, but they did get beat. And then over the weekend, as we are all probably trying to enjoy our weekends... Uh, the Rangers have a news dump, question mark, which, I'm, Gregory, I'm sure you have thoughts on, at 5 p.m. <laughs> to uh, uh, mutually part ways with Gerard Gallant. Um, should, was, was there any surprise by you, Vince? Should the fans be surprised? I feel like this was on the wall and written since December. Well, I told you guys the, the brief part of it that I had already written the story. So that was the one good bit of news is that I had a feeling that that was coming. So a couple of days earlier, I had taken some time to put a story together just in case the news happened at an inopportune time. Did you guys want to hear the story of what I was doing? Is it, yeah, or did that not it, please. Yeah. What were you doing? Well, so I had I been time. Friday night. I had been with my family. Cause you know, I actually get to spend time with my family now that the season is over. <laughs> we had gone up to visit with some friends who live in Dutchess County for the night. They've got two young kids. We've got the young two year old. So the kids were going crazy. We were up late the night before the parents, after the kids went to bed, enjoying ourselves, having a few different drinks. The next morning, the kids had us up at 6 a.m., parks, uh, farms, all kinds of stuff we were doing all day. And we drove home later in the afternoon. I got home at like 4.40, 4.45, and the Knicks were right about at halftime. The Yankees were playing. I have not really watched a full Yankee game or Knicks game yet this year because I've been so busy obviously with work and the Rangers and everything and I we had bought a nice bottle of wine I was planning on making some homemade pasta some bolognese um I put my apron on so you guys could picture me in the kitchen with my apron on we had just opened the bottle of wine I'm chopping garlic and I just happened to notice that my phone was buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and the first time I kind of ignored it didn't think that the news would come down on a Saturday. I kind of figured once we got to Friday, it was going to wait until the next week when we would maybe hear some news. So I had kind of turned that part of my brain off. And then eventually as the phone kept buzzing, I was like, I should probably look at what this is. And I had several text messages and then was like, oh, shit, I have to stop. Uh, this garlic is burning. I had to call my fiance and she had to take over the sauce and I had to shift into work mode very quickly. So it was a hectic, hectic uh, time where I thought I was about to sit down on the couch and drink wine and watch some sports. And then I had to work the rest of the night. So I guess woe is me. I'll, I'll say this. I don't think I, we know enough about MSG, the inner workings and uh, Sir James Dolan, where it's not a coincidence that once the Knicks went down 19, they hit send on the press release. That, like, <laughs> really great theory there, Greg. Conspiracy, Greg. I'm watching the Knicks game, and it was a disheartening, no box out, offensive rebound, Jimmy Butler put back. And I go, oh, how could this day get any worse? And literally my phone goes off then. It's like, hey, by the way, did you see the Rangers fired the coach? And I was like, that checks out perfectly. Thank you so much. I understand completely what's going on here. 
So yeah, I, and, and because of that, I still have not watched any Knicks so far this well, you did it, year. Buddy, you, no. you missed, you missed fucking yeah. nothing on Saturday. I, I guess I did, yeah, yeah. You, you didn't really miss anything. So the one thing I want to, I really want to kind of harp on here for just a minute or two is I feel like no, not anybody, nobody, rather nobody, on this podcast right now was surprised by this firing. Everybody kind of saw it coming, and I think there was a chance, obviously you were writing about this earlier in the season, Vince, that Glant would have been fired maybe if they lost that St. Louis game if Keandre Miller didn't score that goal. Or if he didn't put Lafreniere on the top line with Mika Zibanejad and they maybe, in spite of him, scored. What prevented the Rangers from making this change earlier, if you've heard anything at all? Or was it just like, hey, let's run out the season and see if this can work into the postseason. And if you, if you can make the adjustments and make the run, we'll go for it. But it seems like the writing was on the wall the entire year. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. That's why I had a strong sense that this was coming. And the reality is that if at any point you start flirting with other possibilities, it's just like a relationship. If you're starting to drift and think about whether or not you can get a hotter date for the dance or whatever analogy you want to use, once that line of thinking enters your mind, then it's hard to get that out unless something drastically different happens to change your mind. So... To get to your original question, what changed was the Rangers started winning. I had been hearing it was around late November that it started really creeping up in conversations I was having with different sources. And I I remember talking to you guys about it at the time as well, that it just seemed that behind the scenes conversations were happening, whether it was ownership level, management level, I believe it was both about, okay, if this thing doesn't turn around soon, do we have to do something drastic to change the outlook of this team and wake this team up for the rest of the season? Now, remember, they lost that game on December 3rd to the Chicago Blackhawks. Everybody kind of remembers that as the game where Jacob Truba threw his helmet. When they lost that game, they had lo- they had only won 11 of their first 26 games to begin the season. So they felt like things were spiraling in the wrong direction, and they felt like a shakeup might be necessary to sort of snap them out of it. But after that, beginning with the St. Louis game that you referenced, they won seven games in a row, and they were really never at a playoff position again for the rest of the season. And I think there was also this sentiment that, Had they decided to make a change at that point in the season, they wanted to feel like they had a really good fallback option, like they had a candidate in place who they were going to feel good about handing the reins over to. I had heard a little bit that Barry Trotz, I think, was the guy that maybe they had explored the possibility of. Obviously, we know Trotz ends up taking the job uh, to be the team president or GM or whatever he is in Nashville. So that... I don't think was going to be a possibility for them. And I don't know if they had another plan B that they really felt good about. And then once the team started winning, I think they made the internal conclusion that, okay, we're going to let this play out and see how Gallant does for the rest of the season. But it was always going to be contingent on what happened in the playoffs. And then, of course, as the season progresses, we all know what happened at the trade deadline. When they go out and they get Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko, who clearly weren't guys that they were acquiring to make them better next year. Both guys were on expiring contracts. Both guys were brought to win right now this season. When that happened, it raised the expectations for what Gallant would do in the playoffs even higher. So my opinion was always going to be, and this is what I had heard multiple times over the course of the season, that for him to stick around beyond this year, they were going to have to have another really good playoff run. 
And when they went out in the first round, it was really hard to envision a scenario in which he would stay, especially when you consider the way in which they went out, going up two to nothing in that series and then blowing it. And it just seemed like while the Devils kept getting better and better, the Rangers kept getting worse and worse and just failed to find the proper counter moves to stop the bleeding in that situation. So it was no surprise to me when he got fired, and I don't think it was a surprise to a lot of the people who covered the team. And obviously, that's why he was getting asked questions about that when he spoke to us on Wednesday. I know he wasn't happy about it, but the reality is that a lot of us had been hearing about this for quite some time. So my long-winded answer is no, it, it wasn't a surprise at all. Yeah, I, I think the important point you brought up there, Vince, though, is, is the nature in which they went out, where there's no there's no injury excuse. And I think I think there are some fans that might be annoyed that are in the pro Gallant crowd that maybe this is coming off as uh, blaming the coach for a lot of ailed. I don't, I don't think anyone, Ryan and I have talked about this a lot. We're not saying Gallant is fully responsible, but we are saying that one, it's the easiest move you can make because it doesn't involve the salary cap and you don't need to move other players to make it happen. And then two, yeah, the players didn't play up to their expectation but Gallant didn't do anything either. It's it's not like he was trying these different moves out in that series that just didn't work. He was as stubborn as his players were in terms of this is just going to work if we keep doing it because we have the talent to do it. And it just never got there. And that to me is unacceptable. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. It's sort of this chicken or the egg debate, right? Like we could we could try to figure out, okay, does more blame fall on the players or does more blame fall on the coach? It's both. It it's both. It's obviously both. And to me, it's always a little bit more on the players because the players are the ones that are actually on the ice. They're the ones that are charged with executing. But to Greg's point, there is this feeling, and clearly it wasn't just the media who felt this way or the fans who felt this way. Clearly there are people in the organization who felt this way as well that – Gerard Gallant's system did not have a whole lot of adaptability, did not have a whole lot of creativity. And his principles, which these are the principles that a lot of head coaches work with as far as wanting an aggressive forecheck, wanting to create traffic around the net and have some volume shooting, wanting to play a direct style that reduces turnovers. Like those are the principles of his system. But Beyond that, it just seemed like the only thing that he was really asking his team to do, at least publicly, was play harder. You guys remember after game four, he basically said that they no-showed. He called them out as lazy after the game. That was sort of a motivational tactic that he tried, which has worked for him at certain points in the past. But it seemed like when that didn't work, he really didn't have any other answers. And I know he snapped back at us, and he challenged reporters saying, I know a lot of you say that I don't make adjustments, but I do. And I'm sure he tried to make some adjustments behind the scenes, but the reality is it didn't work. The Devils, it seemed like everything that they did as far as lineup changes or the way in which they played the game, they really seemed to do a better job over the course of that series of pressuring the puck and clogging up the neutral zone and trapping when they had the opportunity to do so and making it really hard for the Rangers to advance pucks and enter enter the offensive zone. The the Rangers just seem to have no answer for that. And in some ways that does fall on the coach. I think a lot of it is personnel as well. I think some of the personnel flaws on this roster were exposed. And I'm sure we're probably going to talk about that at certain points over the course of this podcast. But I think that there was this feeling that they weren't, 
necessarily getting coached up. I, I also think that there was this feeling that I was getting over the course of the season that that sort of freedom that a lot of the players felt in the first year under Gallant because he's so hands-off that seemed to a lot of guys felt like was a welcomed thing for them after the micromanagement of David Quinn. I think this year it got a little stale. I think it got to the point where systematically there wasn't a whole lot that was exciting the players. There wasn't a whole lot that people felt like was was making the Rangers a difficult team to play against or making them a difficult team to game plan for. And then you can get into other things like the constant line juggling. I know that was a criticism of David Quinn all the time, but in my opinion, I had never seen anybody juggle lines as frequently as Gerard Gallant did this season. And I definitely got the sense from certain players that that got old, that they weren't big fans of that. And I know within the organization – and I believe I talked to you guys about this before as well, that if you listen to Gerard Gallant when things weren't going well, at least in his public sessions with the media, especially when we talk about that late November, early December time, it seemed like it was always, oh, well, the schedule is really tough or the players need to be better. And there was just always this deflecting of blame instead of saying, I'm the head coach. It starts with me. And listen, there are probably situations where he didn't deserve the blame, but you have to have that accountability. You have to have that the buck stops here kind of mentality when when you're sending messages through the media like that. And I know that the way that he handled that and always kind of seemed to be defending himself and trying to deflect blame and and deflect criticism, I know that that didn't sit well with certain people in the organization as well. So I think All of these things over the course of the season kind of created this sour taste. And then when the Rangers went out in the fashion that they did, the writing was just on the wall. You know, we talk about meritocracy a lot when it comes to hockey and coaching um, in general. And this roster, when you talked about the makeup of it, and I think maybe it wasn't built the way it should have been built for the playoffs, but it also had the flexibility to do whatever kind of Gallant wanted to do. That also was going to have to hurt some players' prides, whether it's Vladimir Tarasenko, whether it's Patrick Kane. And you could say whether they performed or not in the playoffs. The answer is probably likely no um, in any case. But he had fourth-line players. He could move up and down the lineup. There were adjustments to be made. You can sit there and, and you know, we've done this before, laugh at Lindy Ruff and the way he put out certain lineups. But guess what? Like, those lineups have worked. People laughed at him yesterday when he put Jack Hughes on the third line. Guess what? They won 8-4. Um, and those those are maybe like crazy and the fans are going to roast you adjustments. But that's why this roster was so deep. Like we we joked, like who's the worst roster uh, skater on this roster for a couple months? And the answer was like, I don't know, like Tyler Mott? Like maybe? And Mott's awesome. So the fact that like we couldn't just find a way to even like put Mott up like on a second line or something like that. There were these out-of-the-box adjustments. And as an uneducated hockey man like myself, where I can watch the game and see the adjustments that the Devils are making and know that the Rangers really aren't, you know, I know Glantz said he made them, and I'm sure he did in some ways, but I, I couldn't see them, Vince. I, it was very uh, concerning to me. There was clearly a system and a plan with the New Jersey Devils. Whether that plan was use your speed and clog it up and absolutely make sure that these older players cannot hang with us, or it was actually a little bit more advanced and clogged the neutral zone, et cetera. It just was, it, there was nothing to be seen or creativity wise at all with the Rangers. It was simply the Rangers motto, which is please Igor Shesterkin save us. And God, he almost did. He uh, almost did. Vince, before, before you respond, I want to piggyback off that because I do want your take on, I, I, I think the three of us, we all had a feeling before the playoffs started, well before the playoffs started 
that if things didn't go well, it was over for Gerard Gallant. But to piggyback off what Ryan is saying here, was there ever a moment that made it more obvious and clear that a breakup was coming than after Game 7, Gerard Gallant sits in front of the media and says, this just isn't a roster you can win with. I it It can't just be talent. I was sitting there being like, oh, my man knows it's over. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the first part of the quote you just made up, but yeah, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said he did say he did say you can't just win with only talent. Yes, he did say that. He he didn't say. he, yeah, he didn't say I can't win with this roster, but <laughs> well, I know, but he also didn't win with this roster, so he didn't need to say yeah. shit in that regard. I listen now. I, I think I've 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 put out some pretty valid criticisms of him. I've definitely written about a lot of this stuff. I've definitely talked to you guys about a lot of this stuff. Like, I think there were legitimate reasons to make a coaching change, and I certainly was not convinced that he was going to be the guy who took the Rangers to the promised land. But I'll also say this kind of in his defense. You have a coach who wants to play a heavy, aggressive, forechecking system, a direct system, north, south, whatever you want to call it, and you give a guy like that a lot of players who don't fit that mold, who are more east-west, skilled players, guys who aren't necessarily going to be in your face on the forecheck, guys who aren't necessarily the strongest skaters, which we, we definitely think that that, in my opinion at least, that was something that the Devils really exposed. It's something I've I've been talking about for a year or two now where it's like, okay, I don't see the Rangers having the team speed to match up with some of these really, really fast teams that we're seeing having success in the league. And I think that that was evident as this series went on. But you sort of factor in all of those things, the lack of forechecking guys, the lack of diversity on this roster, the lack of speed on this roster, and I don't know that there really was one adjustment or one lineup change or even a series of lineup changes that Gerard Gallant could have went with that would have made this series go differently. The Devils, we talked about this from the beginning, were not a good matchup for the Rangers for a lot of the reasons that we've laid out. And now I think the questions moving forward when you examine this roster are what do they need to do to make this team more well-equipped to win at this time of year. Again, I think they, in my opinion, you look at what they did last year at the trade deadline versus what they did this year. It's starkly different. Last year, I think they targeted guys that weren't necessarily household names, but that fit very specific roles that were well-suited to the type of system that they wanted to play, that were well-suited to the spots where they had openings. Andrew Kopp and Frank Vitrano in particular, I thought really fit in nicely in this lineup. And then this year, they took an opposite approach. They basically went big name hunting. They didn't necessarily worry about building a well-rounded lineup as much as they did, okay, these are the two biggest names available, so we're going to go get them. Especially when you consider Kane, everybody knew the guy had a hip problem, and yet they still went out and did it. I understand why, because the price tag dropped and Kane essentially forced his way to New York. So I think it's, it's hard for me to sit here and Monday morning quarterback that, but With hindsight now, I think the lesson learned needs to be that you need to build a team. And and that, I think, speaks to Gerard Gallant's point. You don't necessarily just need to load up on talent or load up on stars. You need to have a lineup that's built from top to bottom to, to 
each each line has a different role. Each line can match up against this particular strength of another team, and that's how you create a line. Is one of you mowing the lawn or something right uh, now? Yeah, welcome welcome to spring in Troy, New York. It's not me. It was, <laughs> it was right outside my window. But Vince, I'm actually I, I am going to push back. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Um, the Patrick Kane of all this, notwithstanding, the first three moves that Chris Jury made for Gerard Gallant, he needed a white a right winger for his top six because he clearly. Didn't feel comfortable giving Capococco those minutes. So he went out and got a scorer who plays a quote-unquote heavier game in Vlad Tarasenko. A guy who maybe isn't the most defensively responsive forward, but isn't afraid to use his strength to muscle the puck away from other players. He went out and acquired a bottom-pairing defenseman with flexibility who could move up and down the lineup that does a lot of things Gerard Gallant wants his defenseman to do in Nico Mikola. And he went out and got... Gerard Gallant's favorite Swiss Army knife from the season before in Tyler Mott. Now, the Patrick Kane of it was absolutely a superfluous and luxury move the Rangers made. But those first three moves Drury made, he made those moves specifically with Gerard Gallant in mind. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's... I don't think it's as simple as, well, then they got Kane and that messed everything up. I, I don't know if Gerard Gallant would have gotten to the finish line with or without Kane, but like... The first three moves Drury made, to me, were clear moves for need in the realm of the type of moves he made the season before, where he identified problems Gerard Gallant had with the lineup, solved those problems with high upside, high talent players. So I just, I I will push back on the notion that we can sit here and say, we didn't follow the same blueprint we followed the year before, because I do think Drury went above and beyond trying to meet every need Gerard Gallant had because he clearly didn't want to play Zach Jones. Drury wasn't comfortable with playing Lieber Hayek. He knew he needed a right winger. He knew he needed another guy that could move up and down the lineup that played with that sandpaper and grit that Gerard Gallant likes. And he checked all those boxes, Vince. I, I agree with you there, but I would counter by saying these two things. Number one, would this have made the difference against the Devils? I, I don't know. It was a seven-game series, so maybe a big play here or there could have made the difference. But instead of trading for Kane, if they would have gone out and gotten a guy who could be that speedy score, uh, score. I mean, that speedy skater, that forechecking presence, that guy who would add more of that element to this lineup. Maybe that could have made a difference for them. Maybe that would have been, oh, I think it definitely would have been a better fit. I mean, think about it this way. Artemi Panarin struggled so mightily in the playoffs. It's been a huge talking point, and for, and for good reason, in the last couple of weeks. Which right winger in Artemi Panarin's tenure with the Rangers did he have the most success with? Jesper Foss. Jesper Foss. So if, if there was anybody available at the trade deadline who probably would have come cheaper than Kane, if there was anybody available at the trade deadline who could have played that kind of a role, I think that would have gone a long way toward diversifying the look of this forward group. And ultimately, I think it was the forward group that, that really let the Rangers down the most in this series. I think that would have been an important improvement. Would it have made the difference in beating the Devils? I don't know for sure, but I think that would have been a step in the right direction. And my larger point is that moving forward, I'm not sure if this roster is built 
well enough or is balanced enough to win. So I'm not necessarily saying that there was some magic solution or something differently that they could have done at the trade deadline that would have made them a champion this season. I don't really believe that. I do believe they could have went in a different direction from Kane and it would have been a better move for this team at this time. But I'm also talking about moving forward. I'm curious, what are they going to do to make this team better? Because I'm not convinced right now that this is a championship caliber team. And that's ultimately what we're talking about. The Rangers have proven that they're a playoff team. We know that this group is capable of making the playoffs, and we saw them go on a nice run last year, but we also saw them run out of gas, and we felt like they weren't on the level of the Lightning or the Avalanche last season. So what they're aiming for now is to win a championship. They want to end this drought. That's the stage that we're at. It's it's really championship or bust in the next couple of years. And so what I'm posing the question of is, if we're going to nitpick, we already know this is a good roster, but if we're going to nitpick about what do you have to do to make this roster a champion, then I think we have to have some of these hard conversations about what are the deficiencies right now. And I think some of the things that I've laid out about being a better forechecking team and be- being a team that can play faster are really important things for them to consider moving forward. Same with 5v5. They're really well, yeah, they, yeah actually, that, that's, a, that's a great point if you guys don't mind me ranting on that one for a Please second. Please go forth. You're the guest. Because I just wrote about this uh, a little bit more today, and I touched on it a bunch last week as well. Under Gerard Gallant, and again, this to me is part on the coach, but also a big part on the way that this roster is built. Under Gerard Gallant, the last couple of years, the Rangers' strengths have been obvious. It's goaltending. They might have the best goalie in the world. He was that last season, and he was also that the last two months of this season. So we know that that is the pillar of this team, and that's going to give them a fighting chance against anyone. And we also know that their special teams, in large part, have been above average, one of the better power plays in the league for the most part in the last two years, and a pretty solid penalty kill as well. But at five-on-five... It's kind of got swept under the rug because of the success that they had before these playoffs started. But at five on five, they've been a mediocre team. And a lot of the analytics, if you guys look at this stuff, it'll paint the same picture. The Rangers were 22nd in the league in expected goal rate at five on five this season. That is not very good at all. And you look, I looked this up today for my story. I found this very interesting. Of the eight teams that are remaining in the playoffs— Six of them ranked in the top 10 in expected goal rate this season, and none were worse than 16th. That was the Golden Knights, but everybody else is in the top 12. So you need to be a much better team than what they are at five on five right now. And to me, that is the ultimate thing that this next coach, whoever it might be, has to turn around. We know they're going to be really good in goal. They're probably going to be pretty good on special teams. But how do you make them better at five-on-five? Typically, most of the game is played at five-on-five. And against the best teams in the league, the Rangers have not been able to hang with them at even strength. So that's a huge thing for them, in my opinion, moving forward. I think that, from a fan perspective, Vince, is one of the more confusing and confounding things with this Ranger team. Because, like, a team with as much talent as the New York Rangers have should not have to struggle at five on five. I, I And I know that some of this is, is coaching techniques and coaching scheme and all that. At the same time, like you are Timmy Panarin's Adam Fox, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocek, every one of the children like these should just, that should just be enough where any dumb, dumb me included can get behind the bench and make this team play more effectively and create scoring opportunities at even strength. So I guess my question to you is, is there a guy out there in your estimation 
who all of a sudden has a secret sauce that is going to unleash these really good hockey players and allow them to be really good hockey players at five on five. Well, you have to hope that there is because that's going to be a huge part of this equation moving forward. You don't fire the coach who got you to the playoffs and back-to-back seasons if you aren't hopeful that you can find a guy who can make this five-on-five play better. But I also think that they're going to need to get creative with tweaking this roster enough to to find more guys who can open up space. And I think a lot of this comes down to that. When you're working on the power play, Look at a guy like Artemi Panarin, or we could throw Mika Zibanejad in there who really loaded up as far as power play points and especially power play goals were concerned this season. Chris Kreider, the last two years, a lot of his goals, especially two seasons ago, came on the power play. Adam Fox is a guy who really you know gets fat on the power play as far as his point production is concerned. On the power play, you're playing five on four. You have a lot more open ice and space to work with. At five on five, you have less of that. And in the playoffs, you have even less of that. And I think what we've seen, especially with a guy like Panarin, is that when that time and space, which is what the players always talk about, gets cut down and you have less room to maneuver and you have guys on other teams who are on top of you all the time, how do you still make the same plays that those guys are used to making when they have more space with which to make those plays? And that that's something that I think this new coach is going to have to help them figure out. But I think it's also something that you might need Jesper Foss type of players to help you open up that space and, and do some of the dirty work or do some of the things that draw the defense, do some of the things that create traffic in the right areas or dig pucks out of corners or whatever it might be that helps your star players get the time and space that they need to, to, to make those kind Paco of Paco to do like for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. That entire rant, I would just sit here thinking like, all right, cool. So can we just tell Artemi Panarin to enjoy playing with Capo Caco and we have a problem solved? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, listen, but Caco, I, and I think he's made a lot of good strides, but he's still probably a below average skater. So Agreed. I'm talking about guys who can push the pace a little bit more because, you know, you look at Jersey, you look at Carolina, you look at Colorado, you look at a lot of the teams that are left in the playoffs right now. I'd say they all play at a faster pace than the Rangers. Like guys like Panarin and Fox, they want to slow the game down. But what they're going to need to do a better job, I think, of moving forward is is speeding the game up or at least having guys that can speed the game up and then create some space for guys like Panarin and Fox to do what they do and what makes them special. Man, you were right before we started this podcast. We could go another hour, but we'll try and keep the 10 more minutes. Uh, were you getting a sense, uh, obviously Tyler Mott in, in breakup day, pretty much announced that he's like trying to come back. Uh, and I think Goodrow said like, you might not know where you'll, where you'll end up next year. Um, the, the Rangers have a problem at right wing. Cause it's really right now. It's just Capo Caco. Do you get the sense that I don't think Vlad Tarasenko is coming back period. I think he's going to get a bag like 5 million somewhere for like five years. <laughs> and the Rangers cannot afford to do that as they've signed Filipino and Trocek to long-term deals for the past two years. Uh, do you get the sense that Kane might be coming back on a cheap contract or is that just like kind of out the window as well? I don't know if I'd say out the window, but I would definitely classify it as a long shot. I think he has interest. I'm curious how much interest the Rangers have yeah, after on what the same page. <laughs> after what happened, you know, in these last couple months. And you also got to understand now we don't have confirmation yet, but it sounds like there's a real possibility that he's heading for hip surgery this summer. So what does that recovery look like? Now here could be a silver lining. If he's not going to be ready to start the season, it's going to be one of those things where he comes back at November, December, January, whenever, 
and he is looking for a one-year prove-it kind of a deal and is willing to take a huge discount, maybe that does open the possibility of him coming back to the Rangers. But just to paint a picture for you here, the Rangers are working with about 11 and three quarters million dollars. So like $11.75 million in salary cap space. And that they need to allocate between eight or nine spots on the roster, eight spots. If they're going to go with 22 guys, which I think they probably will or nine spots. If they want the flexibility to go with 23, which I don't think they're going to have that luxury. You have to pay Keandre Miller, who is definitely going to be the most expensive out of their current RFAs. You're going to have to find some kind of a deal with Alexi Lafreniere, which I think is going to be a bridge deal similar to what we saw Capo Caco get. So you figure two years at two point something million dollars. But once you pay Lafreniere and once you pay Miller, how much salary cap space do you really have left? Not much. And I think a bigger priority than bringing back Kane is going to be finding some speedy forecheck, gritty, whatever you want to call them kind of guys to help round out this lineup. And they're going to have to find some of those guys that are on the cheap, but you still are are trying to fit a whole lot into a very little amount of cap space. So I think Kane, again, kind of becomes a luxury that they don't necessarily need. I don't completely shut the door on it because I do think that he's very interested in it. But I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think it's likely either. Yeah, I, I don't know. Everything about this team is just a big I don't know because I just – it's really tough, Vince. Like – I think the three of us would say the New York Rangers are a highly talented team and they can make all these things work, but I don't know. I, this is going to be our third coaching search since we started this podcast. And I don't, I just never have, I felt less confident in an organization being able to identify a coach. that's going to be able to get this job done. And I, I've defended Chris Jury a lot. This honestly isn't even about the New York Rangers. It's just like my admittance that I don't think, any hockey organization is really good at identifying these coaches except like Tampa Bay. I, I just, they just had Cooper and it's been awesome. And it's, it's just, just the same way with Carolina. It's like Rod's amazing coach. Well, okay. Out. Let me, let, let me, let me put a bow in it this way, Vince, and then we'll let you go after this. I don't think Ranger fans should be hoping all of a sudden that Fenway sports group is like, you know what? Mike Sullivan's not our guy, right? Like I, I think we, we already, we had a lot of people specifically Brooksy, poo-poo Quenville. We're not going to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. But I think anyone hoping that Mike Sullivan's just going to walk through that door and save people should probably be hoping for other things. Yeah, I checked in with a source about that yesterday, and I was told about 5% chance that, that he might not be back with the Penguins. I think everybody expects that he will be back with the Penguins next year. I think Sullivan would be the Rangers' number one choice if he were available, but it sounds like that is a, an extreme long shot. So I wouldn't go putting your money in that basket. It's a really interesting dilemma here because obviously things have gotten to the point with Gallant where they decided no matter who the the alternative was they didn't want to bring him back but I do not sense that there is a really strong front runner at this point we spoke to Chris Drury the other night he he is increasingly more and more guarded and vague when it comes to these uh occasional conference calls that he does with us so there's there wasn't really a whole lot of information to come out of that he's going to keep his cards very close to the chest but I've been told by multiple people, I've been hearing this repeatedly, that it 
the impression around the league is that the Rangers are probably going to go for an experienced guy. They're in this win now mode. And even though they've got some, some pretty key young players, the, the really top, top guys in this team, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, these guys are 30 or 30 plus their primes are not going to last forever. And we talked about, it's no longer about making the playoffs. It's about winning a championship. And I think that, there's a lot of people who think the Rangers would find it difficult to stomach entrusting that kind of responsibility to somebody who's never done it before. Now, we could have a whole other conversation about how that's an antiquated way of thinking and how the NHL, in my opinion, more than any other league, gets caught in this endless cycle of recycling coaches and it just kind of feels so blah and so stale and so just kind of lame. And you look at the recycled guys that are out there right now. You mentioned Quinville. It sounds like that has died down, although it's interesting because the whispers about him at this time last week kept getting louder and louder, and then they backed off on that. So you have to wonder exactly what happened there, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be the guy. It does not sound, I heard, I didn't even have him on my list, that Daryl Sutter is somebody that the Rangers are not going, going to entertain. So I, I was told by multiple sources that he's not going to get an interview. So Sutter's out as well. So then you look at what's left as far as the experienced guys. Yeah, I Peter, just, yeah who wants Peter LaViolette? Like, I'm good. Well, We've seen I, know, I know, Greg, but I tell you, a couple people said to me they feel like that's one of the safer choices and they would not be surprised oh, if that's... So I, I agree. I don't disagree with you, but that that's a name that I've definitely heard. Bruce Boudreau, I, I don't know if the Rangers feel really strongly about him, but I was told not to cross him off my list. So, so he's... I, I want to plug you real quick, Vince. You did write a great article with 10 candidates. If people want to go read it, read com for sure. Um, but two people you mentioned, one of them that is going to come up over and over and over and over again is Chris Knobloch, who I believe has been in grooming, I guess, for to become a head coach for the New York Rangers for a while. But... If not now, when, I guess, is the question. And the other person I really found interesting was Spencer Carberry, um, who was the youngest candidate on the list. Both, but both of those, to me, feel like, what, 1% to 2% chances? Uh, nah, Block, I would probably put higher than that. But, yeah, Carberry is a guy that's really well thought of around the league. There's a lot of smoke around him possibly going to the Capitals right now. He worked in that organization before. So what I wrote was, if you're the Rangers and you know your division rival has given this guy a hard look, why wouldn't you at least bring him in for an interview? He's considered this innovative young mind. He runs that Toronto power play. He works with their forwards. It doesn't look so good for Toronto right now, but obviously this is – I guess you could say their best season in a long time because they finally made it out of the first round. So he's definitely a hot candidate out there right now. But Nablock is the really interesting one to me because we know that Chris Drury handpicked this guy. He hired him to be Hartford's head coach a couple years ago. We saw him on that short stint with the Rangers last year when Gerard Gallant had COVID and everyone felt like he handled himself pretty well in that setting, although he kept you know, deflecting the credit to Gallant and saying that Gallant was coming up with the game plans. He was just calling out the lines and stuff like that. But he did handle himself pretty well in that situation. And you look at the Wolf Pack this year. I went up and visited with them. I think it was in December. They were not doing well at all at the time. They really don't have many established goal scorers on that team. Their top scorer was Johnny Brodzinski, but the Rangers kept bringing him up. So they kept having to go these spells without their top scorer. And they were struggling but all of a sudden, when I was there, Chris Knobloch told me this. He said, I feel like things are turning. It might not be showing in the results, but I feel like the way that we're playing and, and what we've been hammering into these guys is finally starting to take hold. And all of a sudden, second half of the year, Hartford caught fire. They might have been the hottest team in the AHL in the second half of the season. And now you look in the playoffs, they're 5-1 and one in the playoffs so far. They're going to the... 
I think they call it the Atlantic Division Finals. It's basically the semifinals. So they're one of the final four teams that's still alive in the AHL. They could have a shot at winning a championship this year. So he's done a tremendous job with that team, with what a lot of people consider a fairly limited roster. So you kind of look at it and you say, well, this guy's paid his dues. He was handpicked by the organization. He's been groomed. It seems like eventually they want to give him some kind of a shot. But it also goes back to that conversation that I said I've had with a couple sources in the last week or so about with the Rangers in the stage that they're in, whoever comes in as coach is going to be expected to basically win a Stanley Cup this coming season. For a guy like that, who's never had to deal with a lot of attention, never had to deal with a lot of media and all the different stuff that would come with sitting in that chair and all the pressure and expectations, are they really going to hand that guy the keys in such a win-now situation, that is the biggest hurdle that they would have to get over to consider that. But if they go through the Laviolettes and the Babcocks and the Boudreaux and the guys like that, and they come away unimpressed, and they come away with the same stale feeling that we're talking about that we might have if they hired one of those guys, and they decide, okay, we have to try something new, then maybe Knobloch becomes a viable candidate. I mean, to me... I understand the risk with going with a guy who hasn't been a head coach in the NHL, but with no risk comes no reward. And you look at the last two champions, the Colorado Avalanche or Jared Bednar, and you guys mentioned Cooper with Tampa Bay. Both of those guys paid their dues in the lower levels and and got their first head coaching opportunities with the teams where they are now and turned themselves into champions. So for me, I feel like if there's no surefire experienced guy out there, if you're the Rangers, Why not get creative and think outside the box and try to swing for the fences with a guy who might bring something different to the table than these same old guys? Yep. You know, it feels like it might become more of an appealing option as we go through this process. And to me, I feel strongly that they should consider all options, including the guys with no head coaching experience at the NHL level. But I can tell you from what I'm hearing, I think everybody's expecting initially they're going to focus on some of the retreads and then maybe pivot as the process goes along. I will say, I know you got to get out of here, Vince. I will say if it's going belly up in Toronto, and I know what's old is new again. Sheldon Keith is going to get the raw end of the deal of anything that happens in Toronto, and I'd happily – he's the one retread I'd actually welcome with open arms. I think he can he, – he'd be creative enough for me. I don't know what's going to happen with his situation. I can't speak specifically to that, but I can tell you that I think that there's a real possibility that they're going to wait to see what happens in the playoffs if anybody unexpected shakes loose just to keep all their options open. I, I don't know if I see this being something where – they're going to make a hire in the next week. I think they're going to take their time and be pretty meticulous with this process before we get any final answer. Well, it's, tend it, to agree. It's the same thing that happened last time. Everybody that wants a coaching job knows the Rangers is the coaching job to want. So what rush do the Rangers have to actually make a hire? Uh, uh, last note from me, I'm pro Chris Knobloch, and I'd be very happy with him. Uh, Vince, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good luck on the rest of your hits today. And uh, anything you want to plug before you get out of here? No, I, I admit, yeah, aloha.com slash, slash sports slash Rangers. Uh, definitely going to have a few more stories coming out this week. I just had one published today about Igor Shesterkin and how that's the backbone and any coach that comes in has to figure out how to build in front of him. And I have another story coming out this week that's going to be a really deep dive into the salary cap situation. So people that are interested in that might want to dive in and get a real feel for what the numbers are going to look like this summer. And then, yeah, New Ice City is the podcast. I'm going to have a new one coming out this week. I've got Emily Kaplan from ESPN coming on and nice. she's oh, in it. Cousin she, Emily. 
Yeah, she's going to help us really dive into the coaching search and which candidates are out there and some under-the-radar guys and stuff like that. So definitely look out for that one on Wednesday morning as well. Sweet. Vince, cannot thank you enough. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, we're back. Thanks to Vince. Oh, awesome. Southampton's losing 3-1. to one. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I hate sports. They were a mistake. Why do any of this? <laughs> What's the point? I could just enjoy life, Jesus but I do this Christ, instead. It's fucking not a, we fucking suck. All right, where's uh, five-star question? Greg, where's James Ward-Prowse going? I don't know. Anywhere but here, man. Save that poor child. Yeah, if he's, he's, is he the only talent Southampton really has right now? Honestly, they've been so bad, I don't even know if he's good anymore. That's how sad that is. Um, we So we're going to read some five-star questions. Some of these are a little dated. So, for example, Masker James asks, with the defeat of Boston and Colorado, how much easier has the path for New York Rangers become? <laughs> well, uh, and oh, the next God. question... Matt well, Jackson, how long until Gerard Glenn gets fired? I think he got fired. Well, um, honest question. Honest question. Yep. I, I know we, we play this game all the time. Worst case scenario for Gary Bettman, if like the Devils being the most marketable team left in the Eastern Conference is already a nightmare, and now consider the chance that the Devils, who are down 2-1 in the series, don't even sniff the a Hurricanes-Panthers Eastern Conference final will do a zero. It's a literal zero. It, it's literally AEW Wednesday night dynamite will outrank like three of those games. One of those shows. Three of them? Yes. Three together. I, yeah, but you also have to remember that there's a chance one of those games might preempt dynamite. Like if you're TNT, oh, no. if you're TNT, you just have to be like, guys, you know what? We're good. Forget it. We're all right. We're just give it to ESPN. We'll be fine. Like tag us back in next year. I mean, even the West is not. I mean, at least Connor McDavid's around. He's got to go the yeah, whole way. For now. <laughs> He's got to go the whole way. I just imagine, like, Vegas Edmonton is the only saving grace for the NHL right now. But one of those teams has to lose. And then imagine the other of those teams doesn't make the Stanley Cup. And the Stanley Cup final is like, I think Seattle, some curious people will tune in and be like, ooh, kind of expansion team, fun, fun, fun. But if it's Dallas and then either Carolina or Florida, Ryan. The Royals will draw more viewers than that Stanley Cup final. That is rough. Uh, let's answer some five-star questions. Dr. Kruger, if we give Torch credit for the 2014 Stanley Cup final, do we give David Quinn any credit for the last year's Eastern Conference final? I mean, I feel like at least you and I have given David Quinn credit throughout the years because, you know, he The power play comes power from him, play. and it yeah. was way better under David Quinn. No, I mean, we forget how fucking good it was last year. It but was. But at the same time... One of the smartest things Gerard Glant did was just like, man, I'm not going to touch his power play. And it's why you and I had so much trouble talking about the power play in terms of should the Rangers get a kid involved here when, you know, Strom was still around. And we'd have always kind of wind up with the whole, God, it's if it ain't broke, don't break it. This is a good question from M-Bags. Does anyone know a good skating coach asking for a former Little League World Series champion? <laughs> Um, I think the Rangers definitely know they need to work on that. And I, I also think this extended offseason is going to be very good for that time. Can I, can I just say something that's funny to me? Yeah. What What's the baseball equivalent of someone needs a good skating coach? Hitting coach or pitching coach? No, because like... It's half of the game. I know, but at the same time, to me, when you suggest they need a skating coach, it would be like if a pitcher doesn't really know how to pitch... And now you're just like, all right, I guess fine. We'll bring someone in to help them here. Like you, 
I don't know. I, I understand it's probably in the vein of a good hitting coach and a good pitching coach, and it, it's just that simple. But to me, it's just like, I need to take this baby deer who doesn't know how to what to do with his feet underneath him, and I need to teach him what to do. It would be like taking a really fast shortstop and being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach him how to run. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And you know what? The Mets did that once, and they almost broke Jose Reyes because of it. Yeah, okay, I, I I see that, but it is I think it's it's very important that Lafreniere and no, Cotto, no, I'm not saying it's important. I'm saying it's hilarious to me that like he doesn't know how to skate. <laughs> it, it it is weird that you were the top number one overall number, pick, number, number two one overall pick. pick by a mile doesn't know how to skate. Isn't that kind of a, it's a little concerning? Yeah, it's, makes you right. think a little bit. It does. This is from uh, uh, Brunette's Golf Cart Emporium. Great name. <laughs> Cool. Um, I can't make a joke about China, but we can make a joke about DUIs. I don't know, does, Ryan. Does, it's a, it was a golf cart. Does does this DUI, was he driving? He was driving, That's and he true. was under the influence. This is correct. So those are the three letters involved in the crime he committed. You want me to? Do you want me to do another cut? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not even making a joke. I'm just stating what a DUI actually. Is. I understand. Does okay. this year's postseason damage your faith in the team moving forward, or do we look at it as an outlier? No, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hurt. Like I'm, I'm deeply yep. hurt. I, like I, I it, it's tough to say because I understand that Mika Zibanejad is a great ranger and Chris Kreider is a great ranger. So you don't get younger. Yeah, but also just like I, I, we, I brought this up with Vince, and, it, and it's like, all right, I get it. You need to play some sort of system to help this team out at five on five. At the same time, it's just like, Jesus Christ, you're not going to be good at five on five with that roster. And they are like, you're, you're telling me that the way the Rangers are going to move forward is by taking a step backward in terms of the talent that you're able to put out there on the ice. Like it, it, it does hurt my brain a little bit because we weren't, we weren't kidding when we said this collection of players is going to be the best collection of players we are ever going to see the New York Rangers have their roster on opening night next year. Ryan is not going to be better than the roster that lost game seven not to the close. New Jersey devils. But I, so like, I understand Bringing in a coach with a different system and a different structure and a different plan could help this team out on five on five. But like going from Patrick Kane to a Jesper Foss type is not an improvement. It's just not. So sitting here and telling me, oh, the Rangers will get better because they'll get more balance. It's like, I don't know, man, that collection of 18 skaters was so fucking good. I don't think balance is why the Rangers lost. I just want to say that we won't get to every single five-star question today. There is a ton, but we will try and come back to some of them as they, as we go here. Um, this is this this is an interesting one I really enjoyed from Just Gypsy. In hindsight, would you rather have, have had Julian Gauthier or Patrick Kane for this playoff run? It seems like a crazy question, and I'm not sure it is. I think it is. I think it's a crazy question just because, again, you have to take into consideration how Gauthier was being used by Gallant, who... Goche was clearly another one of those players that just, for whatever reason, Gallant had a short leash with and didn't really enjoy playing. It's fun to say, would I rather have him or Kane? But the real question is, like, you would have had Julian Goche and Johnny Brodzinski would have been playing over him. Yep, that's true. Uh, this is from PJ Smith. In back-to-back playoffs, the Rangers have struggled against rookie goaltenders, Pittsburgh and New Jersey. Does that is that a failure on the players or the coaches or perhaps Benoit Allaire? It is not on Benoit Allaire because he coaches Igor Shesterkin. But wait, did, did they struggle with the they struggled with Louis Domingue? That's totally different. Yes, but either way, they struggled. It was it's on the coaching and on the players. It's on both. The answer is both. It's not even close. 
I don't, I, some of it does feel like just coincidence where I don't think it's quite like baseball. Like there was a scouting report on, on Schmidt. It, it was clear. This isn't a guy that just came out of nowhere and started playing. It's like when baseball teams struggle historically, and this is a thing the Mets like to do where they struggle against pitchers they haven't seen before. And everyone's like, well, there was no way to prepare for this. But like with Schmidt, I, I don't know. He, he played, he didn't even play great like that. I think to me, the whole point is, it, it, I'm, I wasn't upset with how the Rangers were finishing. I was upset with the fact that they weren't able to create opportunities. And that has nothing to do with Schmid. That had everything to do with the Rangers. This question from Brettley. I think this piece, the piece of this I struggle with the most is to understand with this leadership core, there was a lot of no quit in New York. Or rather, uh, let me reread this. The, I'm going to restart for Brettley. I think the piece of all this I struggle to understand the most is this. We're going to hear a lot of the New York Rangers quit on the coach and fair enough. Look at the effort at the level at, at the end. But how could this team with the quote-unquote leadership core that the Rangers have, who have been an object failure at winning anything in their careers, look at the best shot to, to give and simply give up? I guess he's saying how could, how could the Rangers give up with the leadership core they had if they did, didn't quit on the coach as well? It's both. It's both. There's both. It's, I, I, it's I, duality. I, I also think there are layers to like the way the Rangers quit. The Rangers got so frustrated that they weren't able to do anything that they kind of just like threw a temper tantrum and called it a day. Like Barclay Goodrow still clearly gave a shit. He was throwing bows with people to the end. Jacob Truba still clearly gave a shit. He tried to murder Timo Meyer. Um, it felt like Artemi Panarin was pressing so much that he almost shut down and stopped doing anything because he couldn't do the things he wanted to do successfully. Zabanajad was a fucking ghost. I think the player, I I think the player who my opinion of changed the most from that series, Ryan, is Zabanajad. Like I don't know how to explain how poorly he played. It 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 boggles my mind a little bit that he was as bad as he was. Because like Kreider was still doing Kreider things. It's just he's he can't do everything, and I don't expect him to. Kane, to me, looked like a guy playing with low batteries on his controller, but I credit that to the fact that he was playing with one hip, and that can't be easy. Uh, I, to me, the guy who, like, like Fox had a bad series, but even then, I don't, I don't know if he was just in his head. Zabenejad's the one to me where I, I don't know how to square that circle. I, I don't know how to explain it away that I could then feel good about myself at the end of it. I don't know if... You do, but to me, if if I'm if I were to pinpoint one player from the quote unquote foundation or the leadership group whose opinion might be kind of forever tainted for me, it's Mika Zibanejad. I, I he fucking sucked. Like I I don't know how else to say it. It was just a straight up ghostly performance, with the exception of Game Six where he scored and he looked like he tried to get a weight off his shoulders, but the rest of it he was outplayed. Yeah, the it, it was, time. honestly, it was like watching Scherzer give up seven runs to the Padres last year. And then I was like, oh, that, well, that can't be good. And then watching everything Scherzer did this year, and I was like, oh, no! <laughs> Tragedy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of five-stars. We're going to save a lot of them for next week. Um, but one of the last ones I want to go over here well, we is... we got time here. We've only been doing it for... I do have to run in 10 minutes, unfortunately. All right, um, so it sounds like we're doing it for nine. Well, that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm saying this one. Um, this is from Adam Furlong. This one's going to take nine minutes? Yeah. That's well, a lot of time. Fine, we'll do a little more. Fine, great. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, 
Sometimes I wish the New York Rangers weren't so good at PR control. And then we got the NBA type gossip and juice, particularly when a coach is fired. Please role play which players flamed Gerard Gallant in exit interviews, and feel free to get creative juices going. I don't need to be creative for Capocaco. He did. <laughs> <laughs> I all right. Uh, I'll, I'll name the players I think were on Gallant's side. Let's do that first. Okay. I, I think I that's think, kind of fun. I think so, Zabanajad probably because. Zabanajad and Panarin probably because they feel so bad about how they played. Actually, think Panarin doesn't like Gallant. That's Fair. Okay. Two cents. Um, I think I think Kreider, Mika Zabanajad, Vincent Trocheck, probably Tyler Mott, probably Barclay Goodrow were all team Gerard Gallant in terms of they tried to make it work for him and probably were responsive to his coaching style. I'd probably put Mikola there too. Yep, I think and that's I'd a good call. Put, I'd probably put Lindgren there too. I think you can make a case for Braden Schneider as well. Probably, yeah. Here are the players I believe absolutely hated his guts. Again, this is my opinion. Lafreniere, bingo. Yeah, yeah. Capo yeah. Caco. Think, yeah. Capo Caco might hate him more than anybody else on earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure Caco has a lot of feelings about things other than Chipotle. And one of the things he feels is, I don't like Gerard Gallant. I don't yeah. think Artemi Panarin liked him at all, despite... Listen, I know Kravtsov wasn't the answer, but Artemi Panarin pretty much begged him to let him get a game with him. And he was like, nope, absolutely not. So, there's that. Uh... I don't think La- Lafreniere obviously has not had the the start he's wanted in his career. Part of that is because he's never gotten the opportunity. And when he's gotten the opportunity, he hasn't made the most of it at some points. But it's not like he's gotten consistent playing time or, ch- or, or chances to tr- truly prove himself. Can put that into his shoes there. Philip Heedle, uh probably should have been the second line center. Vincent Trocek was brought in partially because of Vincent Trocek. I'll say this about Heedle. I, I love Phil Heedle. And I feel like we end up being mean with Phil Heedle, like not putting him on our good hangs team. Yeah, that was mean of us. That. I don't think Phil Heedle is capable of like forming hate. And okay. I mean that in a nice way. Yeah. I just, I think he's a little like, I think he's a little dumb. <laughs> I don't think he's dumb. <laughs> I think, I think he's, he's Come just, on, man. he's just a permanent happy to be here guy. He is. He's happy to be here, and it turns out, unfortunately, what well, we were extremely wrong with our good hangs list because he won like the medium award this year. <laughs> but no, <laughs> like, but I think that goes hang? into. I think that no, if someone that's good with the media to me is not a sign that he's a good hang. Right. I think that kind of plays into the fact that he might be a little. Um. No, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> no. I just, I think he's good with the media because he's just too dumb to realize he shouldn't be good with the media. He's a he's a great conversation. It turns yeah, out. like Jacob Truba is a smart motherfucker, and he understands if he says a Jacob Truba thing, is a golden retriever. What are you talking about? What? No, Jacob Truba's a genius. No way. Yeah, we- no. You, see, this is how I know you two are dumb because you don't realize the genius Jacob Truba is. Jacob Truba understands his words have power. And he understands if he says something a certain way we or phrases something a certain more. way. Yeah, no, he he understands that his words are going to get quoted because he's the captain and everything has more meaning behind it. So when he says something, it's going to carry weight. So he has to be extremely careful with what he says. Whereas Phil Hedl gets to stand up there and just be like, gosh, man, I sure do love playing this hockey. And I wish I could play more of it. And I'll tell you all about how I love this hockey. And that's also why, quite frankly, I think Kabokako is also like Jacob Truba. A smart fucker, but a discontent motherfucker. So he's just going to be like, yeah, I'd like to play top six and power play. That'd be nice. Whereas Phil Heaton would be like, gosh, I sure love this game. If I played a little more, that'd be great. But whatever the coach thinks, I think that would be just swell. I think Chris Jory asked Phil Heaton, hey, man, what do you think of Gerard Gallant? And Phil Heaton was like, I think he's certainly a hockey coach. I think that's what he said in his exit interview. 
But the difference is, I'm saying it sarcastically. I think Phil Heedle fucking meant it when he said it. Fine. I. This is a man. So- Ryan, you're telling me that man, smart man, the man you're defending, so smart that he took a 30% hometown discount from Chris Drury for what? That's a great point, and I will not deny it. But <laughs> Chris Drury is one of the best negotiators on earth. Yeah, deny his it. negotiation was, Phil, I know you're stupid. Just sign the dotted line. It feels like you're right, boss. Here you go. Unbelievable. Uh, I do have to get going, but one more. This and this this one is going to be very interesting. Uh-huh. Golf cart enthusiast, do we think laugh not going on the right wing was more of a laugh thing or a gallant thing? It, I think this is a. It can be both. I I think. I think it's to me. It has to become more of a gallant thing. Because I think a good coach just finds a way to make it work. And I understand a player has a preference and a player could feel more comfortable doing something else. But I think a good coach finds a way to make his player comfortable on that in that position and understands and explains to said player that the success of this team in the long run really comes down to whether he can or can't do this thing. And would explain in simple terms that you either we need to find a way to make this work or X is going to happen. And I think Gerard Gallant was just like, well, I, th- I don't think Gallant wanted to do it, then tried to do it, and then used any instance in which failure happened to prove his point that he didn't want to do it. And I think, I, I, so I would say 80% Gallant, 20% Laugh, because I don't think Laugh really wanted to do it either. I just think a good coach finds a way to make it work. And I, I don't think Gallant was that guy. He was looking. It's the same reason we did with Kravtsov. Drury got Kravtsov in the lineup, and Gallant was desperate to find a reason to take him out of the lineup. And I think that played into the role with Laugh as well. We'll be back next week or later this week for BSBOT. You can find us there, but if you don't have Patreon, we'll be back next week with more speculation. Welcome to the Summer of Nonsense. You can follow me on Twitter at Orami. You can follow Greg at Blue Break. We will talk to you soon. Love you guys. Bye. Hey, it's the end of the show, so you know what I do now? I thank all our NHL Insider Club members, and I butcher their names in entirely different ways every single week. It's honestly phenomenal. I still speak for a living. And without further ado, I will name some of these people and then maybe say some nice things. Adam Cassie, Adam Cohen, Adam Cortulo, Adam Linder, Adam Keach, Alex Flynn, Alex Gardner, Amber Coensberger, Andrew Ronner, Anthony Gray, Anthony Marturo, Anthony Terragata, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, B- Bennett, Lomayer, I think I said that wrong. Bill Alston, Bill Rattel, Brandon Lackos, Brandon Magum, Brett Granger, Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Dor- Doherty? I almost messed that one up too. Brian Doyle, Brian Gallagher, Brian Mellon, Brian Fa- Fra- Farrell, Cassidy Rollman. I don't, I don't know. I know Cassidy. I always think of you as a, uh, like as a cowboy. I don't, I don't know if that's offensive or not, but I'm really sorry. Cassidy Rollman is one of the best like Wild West names I've ever heard. Like you definitely come in uh, guns a blazing. Chris, Fa- Chris Finelli, Chris Howard, CJ Stellawagon, Conor P. Demage, Daniel De- Delaney, Daniel Dezen, David Narodin, David Siegel, Dennis Deitz, Darian, Eric Stagg, Gabe Valley, Garrett Reynas, Gib Gardner, a cup, Gary Gatsby, Fly, Hayek, Waivers, Happen Before Ryan Watch, Miracle, Harrison Hasco, Hella Vanilla, Hip Hip 89, Ian Rodriguez, Ian Usher, Jack Bagley. Jack Bagley twice. What happened? What, what's going on there, Jack? Maybe maybe something problem going on. James Masker, Jerry Marquez, Jason Zabransky, Jean Jacques, Francois Jean Jean, Jamie Mack, John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Thundercock, Jordan, Josh Kestenbaum, Josh Zarkin, Christopher Florida, Christoph Berg, 
Leshik Gronowski, Lou Giordano, Matthew Kime, Meatball the Cap, Mike Buckle, Mike Manascu, Mike Pasternak, Nate Hanafi, Neil Grover, Nikki Palms, Nicholas DiDicola, Other Slash, Pascal Perrier, Paul J. Smith, Just Pavel, no last name, absolutely no last name, Pavel, PJ Cisbaro, my air just went on, Pro World of Takes Gaver, Randy Tesser, Ryan Turk, Stig Bullbox, Swingart, The Drop BK, Tommy Seclary, Tommy Tedeschi, Tommy O'Neill, Tori Gregory, Tori Gregory, Tony Gregory, I'm sorry, Tony, Tori from Manhattan, Vinny Brocco, Vinny Hay, Wayne E., Will Spector, and Winston, the Golden Retriever, bark, 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 bark. Another fun episode. Thank you to Vince. Thank you to Greg for still being here somehow after all these years. And uh, I think there's a lot of change to come. I don't know which side it's going to come from, but obviously we're getting a coaching change. I think there's a trade or two to happen. The Goodrow thing seems almost inevitable at this point. Uh, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of culture change for the New York Rangers coming. And whether it's hiring coaching staff or even outside of the coaching staff, I do wonder what they do with the analytics firm that they might hire or more expand the analytics team. They might see these analytical teams going far in the playoffs. And people want to cop to success. It's really, really important. So sorry that my air just went on at the end of this, but I'm not going to re-record this because I'm that kind of guy. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Oh, actually, we'll see you for BSBOT later this week. Welcome to the summer of nonsense. Have no idea what we'll talk about, but good times ahead. Love you guys. Talk to you later.